Hi there. I'm Subhu Kalpati and welcome to Culture Matters, my podcast that dives into the many facets of organizational culture. I am a learning leadership and organizational development professional. The world of work as we know it is fundamentally transforming. In this podcast, I invite fascinating people from diverse fields to share their unique perspectives on the new world of work. My guest today is Anand Narayan. He is a vice president and dons the dual hat of head of marketing and HR at Bero. Bero is a global SaaS-based procurement intelligence and analytics provider. In this conversation, we discuss how Anand, along with his leadership team at Bero, have instated a people-friendly work environment, and in particular, their successful experiment with implementing a four-day work week for all of their employees. Anand, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much, Subhu. Delighted to be here. Great. So uh, before we really get started, uh, you know, uh, get get fully in into the conversation, I was curious to know a little bit about, um, you know, who you are, what you do, especially about Bero. Tell us a little bit about the organization um, that you're a part of. Maybe that's a good uh, starting point for us. Uh, my name is Anand. I head marketing and HR uh, or the people function at Bero. I've been here for about 10 and a half years now, uh, and it's been an eventful uh, stay to say the least. Um, I'm a career marketer, about 22 years in marketing, uh, various IT companies uh, in India and the United States before joining Barrow in 2012. Um, very quickly on to Barrow. Uh, Barrow is a market intelligence, information, data, analytics company that helps uh, procurement organizations take sourcing decisions. Um, what to buy, where to buy, when to buy, how much to buy, uh, from whom to buy and at what price to buy. Uh, we give all of this intelligence, data, information that they need to make all of these sourcing decisions. We don't buy anything for them, but we enable them with all of this information. Uh, we invented this space of uh, intelligence for uh, sourcing and uh, the company has been around since about 2006, 2007. And uh, it's a, they say most startups are uh, nothing but a reflection of their founder's character and personality. And uh, to be fair, Barrow is no different in that even though we've been around for about 14, 15 years, we function very much as a startup, very agile, very nimble, uh, and so forth. And we're very much a reflection of uh, the personality of, of the founder, who's the president and CEO, Vail Dinagravel. Um, we set up base in India in 2008-2009. Uh, and you might look at it and say, well, yeah, the IT industry was pretty mature by then. Everybody had the on-site offshore model. Uh, and it was the right thing to do at that point in time, given the dollar versus rupee imbalance, as it were. But the reason we came to India was slightly different, right? And that slight difference was we needed niche engineering talent that could really understand the categories from which people sourced. Uh, get a good understanding of that and be able to then relate back uh, to the uh, customers in a language, English, for instance, right? The language of choice. And there was a surfeit of really good engineering talent in this country, even in small niches, chemical engineers, for example, petroleum engineers, for example, and so forth, right? So we came to India to set up a base, not because of the disparity between or the imbalance between the dollar and the rupee, but because this talent was available in large numbers in here. Uh, and uh, the, the uh, currency exchange was really uh, an added bonus at that. 
The reason I say this, uh, many organizations might say this, but we really meant it is because over the next two years, as this business really started getting entrenched and more and more business started coming in, instead of basically directing questions that came in from our customers to anyone that was available, Bero made it a policy so good to say that, look, if you are focused on your category in the chemical industry, you just be focused in on that. If there's no work coming in from the chemical industry, no problem. You sit, you study, you write white papers, you make a name for yourself in the industry. We want you to really become an expert in that industry. So over the next two to three years, we want you to develop and establish your credibility in that industry. So this investment and category expertise really paid off because it demonstrated to our clients that these guys really know what they're talking about. And multi-year relationships became the norm. And about that time, uh, we introduced a business model called Infinity, where essentially it was like the buffet model. You pay once per annum and you ask as many questions as you want. And what that did was it took away the fear from the customer's mind that every time I'm asking them a question, the meter is running. In about 2016, 2017 was when we made the next pivot because what we realized at that point in time was uh, every time someone comes and asks us a question, however small or uh, minor or large, we were taking a certain amount of time to answer those questions. And so we said, look, if we're a smart organization, we really should be a, doing a scan and be able to come up with all of the common questions and put them together. So we launched our platform in about uh, 2016, 2017. Uh, called Barrow Life, which was a repository of about 500 sourcing categories, um, giving uh, these reports, basically, we uploaded about 500 reports, gave a good overview of what those categories contained. Um, and what that did was essentially it allowed us to say, hey, look, here's a common repository. Go refer to that. And any questions on top of that, you can come and ask me. It and um, over the last year, year and a half, the last pivot so far that we've made is essentially um, taking Barrow Life and transforming that into a much richer platform. We've uh, gone to market with BarrowLive.ai, which is the latest version of the platform. Apart from the obvious fact that it's now powered by an AI engine and you have a bot that essentially answers all of your queries and so forth, the difference, the big difference is Live had 500 reports that were generated by Barrow's analysts. Live.ai essentially brings an ecosystem of partners content uh, to our customers and essentially says not just our content, but there's about 30 partners going on to nearly about 100 over the next few months that will answer any question you might need um, from a sourcing perspective. All this goes back to a vision statement that we came up with in about 2013-14, where we said, look, we want to enable every sourcing decision, irrespective of the size of the organization, irrespective of the complexity of the uh, question, right? And so we're assiduously going around making these changes so that we can enable that, right? And technology is allowing us to do that. Our culture is allowing us to do that and so forth. So long answer, but Barrow is essentially an organization that enables sourcing decisions. We, uh, we have about uh, 19,000 clients around the world, um, all of them subscribe to the SaaS platform that we have called BarrowLive.ai um, across uh, 18 industries. We're present pretty, pretty much in every continent uh, in this world. Um, yet we're a small organization. We're about 530 uh, employees, again, spread across about five continents. So that's the long and short of who we are, uh, Subhu.
Thank you. Thanks, um, Anand, for laying that out very well. I think it, it gives a good picture of the business model uh, about how you operate, how the organization has evolved and um, what your people strategy is to an extent. We'll get to that, um, but gives gives a complete picture of uh, you know the organization as a whole. So thanks for that. I think that's good context for us to um, now get into the, the heart of the matter, which is what we also uh, you know uh, wanted to discuss in this uh, episode of the podcast which is this unique idea of having a four-day work week um, for your people. So if I may ask you uh, to go back in time a little bit and tell us about the genesis of this idea, right? How how did this emerge? Uh, and um, now your employees, of course, work a four-day work week, but it's been there for a while. It's been uh, it's it's been that way for a while, but if I were to ask you to travel back in time and give us a a view of the genesis, where did this all start, uh, and how did this come to be? Fabulous, yeah. So 2016-2017, marketer, I'm busy with uh, you know thinking of how we'll take uh, Barrow Life to market. Uh, we were thinking of various ideas. Uh, in fact, we were just we had just launched what was probably the biggest campaign in the procurement world. We had made the platform free for everyone in procurement and we just launched free for life as a hashtag free for life uh, campaign on linkedin and various social platforms and we were seeing a fabulous response to that from our customers and just as that was bubbling and the organization was all excited about what the platform might do and technology investments were really coming in um, we we were just in the middle of raising funds from a, a private investment uh, uh, firm from a pe private equity firm and uh, around this time, our uh, HR head had to quit. Uh, uh, she was fabulous and so forth, but she had a uh, private reasons, personal reasons to quit. And uh, what what happened at that point in time was, uh, you know, we had a quick huddle. The CEO called me in and said, um, you know, this is an inopportune time for us to go out looking for an HR head. I don't want us to be slowed down either in the marketplace or in our fundraising at this point in time. Do you have the bandwidth? Would you be able to just hold forth for about three to five months while we figure out what's what's going on, right? And I I looked at it and the most logical answer that I could have given at that point in time was yes, because the management team at, at Barrow, uh, suppose, very collaborative. We take all of our decisions together and so forth. Each of us has our domain in which we, we, we build expertise, much like the rest of the organization. But all decisions are really taken collaboratively, where we discuss how it's going to impact, what kind of help we need, and so on and so forth. And so to me, it seemed like essentially what Vale was telling me was, take the lead on this. We will continue taking collaborative decisions, but take the lead on this, guide the organization, see if you can hold forth. Over the next three to five months, as we finish the fundraising, we can then go back in and find someone who can become the HR head. Um, so I said, okay, went uh, went off and started thinking about it. And uh, one of the things I realized was, look, you can't just be completely hands-off. You've got to start um, doing something about even to maintain stuff on autopilot, you've got to continuously be running. If you're on a treadmill, you can't stop and watch right so you got to continuously be running and for me who spent about 17 18 years as a marketer i was alien to the world of hr except to be at the receiving end um but much like one of my marketing professors several years ago had said marketing is really easy if you think of yourself as a customer right i said look if I were to think of myself as a customer of HR services, which is as an employee, and then put my hat on as a marketer to start thinking about it from that perspective, 
it really can't be that much of a rocket science, right? I mean, at the end of the day, rocket science is also Newton's third law in, in, in action. Uh, so that's what I did. I called the team together and I realized they were all looking at me a little warily, the HR team, as it were. And I said, look, I'm not, I'm not here to threaten you. I, I'm going to really lean on you because you guys are the HR experts. What I'm going to be able to do is really to translate what uh, the executive team needs in terms of a simple, easy, understandable language, understand from you what is happening on the ground and basically be able to relate to both, right? Um, and then I put on my marketer's hat and I said, okay, I really need to understand what's happening in the organization. And so the easiest way to do that is speak to your customers. So the first thing I did Subu, was go around speaking to the organization. And as I spoke to the organization, a couple of things became very clear, right? Um, there was a lot of change in the organization at that point in time. And so uh, the employee base was, uh, to put it mildly, stressed, right? There was a lot of stress. Uh, attrition was quite high. Trust in the process system uh, was, was kind of low, was middling uh, at best. And uh, I started really trying to dig into why that was the case, right? Because fun part is I'd been part of many of these management meetings where we had seen the ESS reports and stuff like that, but you never really drill down into the nuances and details and so forth. And now as HR head, I was really getting to do that. I was, as I was speaking to people, uh, you know, the constant refrains were about how stressed they were, how long the work hours were, how the work was not fulfilling and, and so on and so forth. And, um, Quickly, I realized, and, and I'll give you an example. The, uh, you know, the nature of the work was such that to collect our information and data and so on and so forth, employees had to call a lot of customers and or suppliers. And uh, many times, these calls happened at times when the suppliers had their daytime, right? So if they were based in the United States or in China, it had to be either late night or early morning. And oftentimes, uh, given the really good telephone infrastructure in the or communication infrastructure in the office as against people's homes, it meant they would have to stay back uh, in the office, say past 7.30, 8, 8.30 to make these calls or come in early in the morning. I, I had a bunch of employees who were coming in at 4, 4.30 in the morning so that they could catch the Australia suppliers before they got busy with work and, and so on and so forth. So this second was uh, people were spending nearly about two, two and a half hours commuting to work. Right. There were people coming in from the north of Chennai down to where our office was. Uh, this is primarily in, in, in Chennai. And of course, our office in Bangalore was um, as bad, if not worse. You know the traffic situation in, in Bangalore, right? A majority, about 80, 85 percent of my employees were in India. So I'm, this is whose situation I'm describing right now. Spending about two, two and a half hours one way in commuting to the office and then spending late hours in office, getting the same amount of work done um, was clearly one of the examples of what in my mind was causing them a lot of stress. As I started speaking to more people and started looking at data as a marketer, you tend to look at data to really understand what's going on. One of the things that really struck me was while I was proud to see that we were about 38 to 40 percent uh, of our employee base was uh, women, uh, was women folk, uh, I saw that the attrition amongst the women folk was much higher than the, uh, you know, the attrition amongst the men. 
And uh, in speaking to a bunch of folks who had just resigned, uh, women folk, uh, I realized that they were not just leaving the organization and going somewhere else. They were just completely dropping off the workforce itself. And that struck me as kind of interesting and odd. And, you know, I just had a deeper conversation with them. And I realized it was due to familial pressures. It was due to uh, the fact that they just got married or just had a kid. And just staying back in office really late, doing this commute was adding a lot of pressure on them, was adding a lot of guilt, uh, not being able to spend time with their kids, their in-laws, their uh, their husbands, their, uh, and so forth, right? And you know how it is with, uh, with, with societal pressure on women in India. And I realized that uh, this particular piece was not really reflective of Barrow as much as a combination of what Barrow was doing and societal pressures and, and so on and so forth. Uh, I thought that was kind of intriguing that data points stood out. And so this was really the palette that I was playing with, right? Um, so get in, understand these data points, and over the next few days, try and see what, what I had to do. At the same time, um, I knew from the meetings in management that what was happening from a management team perspective was that we were looking to pivot better away from effort-based output to productivity-based output. The idea was to get a certain amount of output, it didn't mean that you had to add more people. We just wanted to see how we can disproportionately get productivity moving up because ultimately we were knowledge workers and not a BPO house, as it were, right? And really, we wanted to move along that path. And for me, that was a conundrum. On the one hand, people are talking about too many hours being spent, too stressed, societal pressures, familial pressures. On the other hand, here's management very clearly stating that, look, we've got to move away from effort to productivity. And it looked like, whoa, what, what is this hot potato I've landed up with, right? Uh, uh, on the one hand, I don't really understand HR theory, HR structures and how to do this. So I don't have a magic bullet. I don't have a formula to solve this. On the other hand, these are real pressures. And I don't know if these can wait three to five months, right? So I said, look, let's start chipping away at what we can, right? Much like how a brand is built, you realize you got to take the first step. You got to crawl before you walk, before you run. Let's start chipping away and try and see if we can solve some of this. And the thing that struck me was this problem with the women folk is something that you can address right away. So within two weeks, I go back to where, look, um, and, and I touched upon this a little bit when I gave you an intro to uh, Bero. Um, Wales, Wales kind of different in that he's open to ideas um, and he's open to completely, uh, you know, different ideas as long as it, it is able to uh, clearly, as long as one is able to clearly articulate the benefits and say how it's going to make sense from the organization's perspective, from the employee's perspective and, and so forth, right? So I, I went back to him and I said, look, this is something that I've noticed uh, right, the women folk are leaving in larger numbers, and they're not leaving because they're unhappy with Barrow. They're leaving. The work is kind of nice. They're enjoying the work, but they're leaving because the pressure is too much on them. I said, look, one thing we can do is uh, why don't we enable long-term work from home for our women folk, right? And second, um, let's let's try and see if we can uh, essentially. Um, uh, do something about the maternity leave that we're providing because a large number of women who take maternity leave never come back, right? So this three months is not enough for them to do any adjustment with their baby, get used to them, get familiar with the baby, nor is it enough time for them to uh, get their family at peace that uh, here's someone who's taking care of their kid and is comfortable and so on and so forth. 
So Vale was instantly receptive to the idea. So the first thing we did, Subhu, was we said, okay, uh, women folk can have long-term work from home. You can just work from home, log in, uh, do your calls when you find the time and so on and so forth. You don't really need to come into office. And second, uh, we introduced uh, initially a six-month and then a nine-month um, uh, maternity leave policy. It's now, of course, 12 months when the government of India changed it. Um, and so we said, look, fully paid, just please stay at home, take care of your baby, build a relationship, get your family in order, get your health back in order, get your mind back in order, and then you can come back to work. Um, this will wait um, and, and so forth, right? And what this did was instantly uplift the mood in the organization, right? Because um, one, it impacted the women positively, but two, um, they were influencers in the organization from a mood perspective. And so what it did was it said, look, here's somebody who's come in, um, but not so much me, but the fact that here's an organization that's willing to listen to us and that's willing to change for us and for our benefit, right? And the best part of this was in doing so, we had broken a vicious cycle of saying continuously putting in pressures, processes, measures, metrics that were in some way, shape or form, double guessing, second guessing, measuring more and more and so on and so forth, right? So when this started working, Subhu, then uh, for me, the next logical step was to say, look, I don't see why we cannot extend some of this trust. If I can trust my women folk to work from home, surely I can take, uh, uh, you know, similar steps towards the men folk. So the next step that I did was really get rid of some of the processes that we had. Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the timesheets, in terms of measuring the clock in and clock out and, and, and so on and so forth. Of course, the government requirements are still complied with in terms of the attendance register that is signed and so forth. But I didn't have a process requirement from Bero that said you need to come in by X amount of time, you need to spend a certain amount of time and, and so forth. And just getting rid of that, you could instantly see how the organization was responding positively. Right. So the first three months essentially were these baby steps that were not actually baby steps. They were massive, monumental steps because what this told the organization was we will take, we will walk more than halfway in enabling your life, in enabling, uh, in supporting you, uh, and we trust you. And just that word, just that handout from the organization which said we trust you. Um, really demonstrated to the organization and they walked, they just pushed back and walked far more than 50% after that, right? So those were the initial steps that we took. Uh, I think I just had a comment in that, you know, that, that clarifies, I think, the ethos of the organization very well uh, before we pivot into how that manifested into the four before that. Um, yeah, the ethos is that we are here to support you. We are here to take care of you. I think uh, the philosophy really comes out in in more more in action than in words. And I think this backstory that you've explained in in terms of how you took care of first the women folk and then kind of extended the similar set of policies to everybody in the organization. I think uh, uh, that's important, right? Because that also gives you some context about why an organization is going down the path that it is. It's it's not purely uh, for only economical reasons. You're also there to uh, you know ensure that your people have a good uh, work life balance per se, right? And and they're able to sustainably contribute in the way that they do uh, towards themselves to their families and the organization i think that's that's the whole 360 degree view that i was uh, thinking about here right perfect in fact uh, subo over the last 5 years i've perfected the hr answer to why we did that which is women folk 
uh, our influencers, they set the narrative. At that time, to be really honest, I was thinking like a marketer. And as a marketer, you think, what's the lowest lying fruit that I can tackle? That'll give me the most outsized returns, right? And so to be honest, in hindsight, you look at it and say, here's how it worked out and therefore it worked out really well. And here's the HR logic and reason behind it. Um, at that point, I was really looking at it like a marketer. Nothing wrong with either. It is just that from an org perspective, the ability for the org to give me that kind of space to not just experiment, to also uh, reach out and try things that have not been tried before, that, that was kind of remarkable. Um, you know, not just from the employees, but also from the management to say, okay, we've put this guy in as, uh, 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 as somebody to manage for two or three months. But during those two or three months, if he has ideas, let him go ahead and implement it. Let him go ahead and try it out uh, to give me that kind of space, to give me that kind of ability to experiment, uh, to trust in me. That trust that came from the top to me is what I really demonstrated to the organization as well, mm -hmm. right? And uh, I think that that I think was the key, and that remains the key in the organization to date. Wonderful. So, uh, uh, anyway, so this clearly had me on a roll. Uh, I started believing now that uh, thinking like a marketer could work from an HR perspective as well. Um, and so the next thing I said was, look, we really need to tackle this problem of attrition. We really need to tackle this problem of uh, employee satisfaction in the whole organization. And I could see that the mood was turning. I could see that the engagement was increasing, improving, and so forth. Um, but like I said, the conundrum was very clear. The management team wanted productivity to shoot up. Whereas people were still complaining about the fact that, uh, you know, they had long commutes and the work hours were really demanding. And they were saying, look, we would love if Bero could think of some way of giving us work-life balance. And uh, it was one of those meetings, actually, with a couple of uh, colleagues of mine uh, in Bangalore uh, over a couple of drinks when we were sitting and chatting about how to solve this problem when it uh, it suddenly struck us that uh, you know Vale had come back from Scandinavia about um, six, seven months ago, and he was gushing about how uh, Scandinavia is so different, not just from the rest of Europe, but also from, especially from America, right? About how they're very particular about their work-life balance, about how they do not work, um, they do not overwork themselves about how their time off is extremely important to them, about how they take care of their health, about their body and so on and so forth. Yet, they're incredibly productive. They're some of the most productive workforces uh, in the world today, right? And uh, we were just sitting and talking and saying, hey, look, they've got the balance right. How have they done it? What exactly is going on in here? And as uh, as we started digging in, we realized maybe there is a way to solve this. Uh, this this two-sided problem with one solution, right? And so what I did was actually uh, approach Vail um, and I said, hey, look, uh, I know you said we need to dramatically increase productivity, but in all my discussions, like I've been telling you over the last few weeks, I noticed that there's high levels of stress, high levels of uh, you know frustration with the organization, uh, and there's a clear and um, pressing need for us to think of work-life balance. But maybe there is a way in which we can actually solve this. Goes back to your example from Scandinavia. What if we actually give people more time off, right? Uh, 
and allow them, therefore, the ability to work at their own freedom. And we played around with different models. We said maybe what we do is we don't have fixed times. People can come in when they want, go back when they want. Maybe we just allow them to uh, work from home <clears throat> two or three days a week um, and so forth. Till we realize that, look, until we take a formal stand, which signifies that we trust you and we will enable you, it has to be symbolic as well as formal. Uh, that's really when things will work. And therefore, we said, look, what if instead of these symbolic measures of saying work sometime from home and stuff like that, what if we just take one day off, you know, just Fridays off and say, OK, uh, essentially what I'm going to do is say I'm going to give you an extra day to recuperate, relax, rejuvenate at home, um, come back refreshed on Monday and therefore be able to be more productive. Right um, now, looking back, my idea was that uh, this will allow us to really build that trust with the organization to uh, do something so different that they will really look forward to it. Um, and and it will also be a matter of pride for them with their colleagues, I mean, with, with their friends outside of the organization and so on and so forth. From Vale's point of view and discussions with them, uh, with him over the last several years, I've realized he was looking at it slightly differently. For him, the key with the Scandinavian example was uh, the insight that humans are have peaks and troughs of productivity. And the peak of productivity at any given point in time is no more than five or six hours, right? And so his point was, all I need, therefore, is that peak of productivity. In India, in offices, there's a lot of distraction. There's chai breaks, there's talk breaks, there's discussions, there's corridor uh, uh, discussions and uh, and so forth. So there's a lot of time wasted. And then the recovery from that to get back to productivity and so on and so forth again takes time. So his point was, if we could structure the organization in such a way that we could maximize the peak productive hours while they're in office, that's all we need. And that's and if humans are not capable of producing more than six to seven hours, let's just prioritize that and nothing else matters. Right. So he was looking at it very differently. I was looking at it slightly differently. But fundamentally, both of us realized that this approach could essentially help. Right. And so um, he said, OK, let's talk about it. Let's see how it, it can work. And so in the management meeting, in the next executive meeting, we brought it up and I uh, pitch this to the folks <clears throat> saying, you know, we we have real stresses in the office. We need to solve this. At the same time, we need to move to productivity to meet our targets. And the only way we can think of doing this, and we played around with different models and the way Vail and I think we can do this is if we give Fridays off. And there was robust discussion, robust debate. There were talks of pros and cons of the various models and so on and so forth. We had to adjourn. We came back the next day. Uh, we said, let's think about it. We met again after a week to say, okay, how do we pick this up? Because this is important. Uh, and uh, the concern, the overarching, there were a lot of concerns, but the overarching concern was what will be the impact on our customers? Uh, you know, what will be the reaction of our customers? Will they look at this negatively? Will they look at this and say, hey, I'm working on Fridays. How come you're not working? Or if there are questions on Friday, what happens, right? What happens to the output and productivity of our organization? It's all very well to say that people are productive for five to seven hours, but the Indian way of working, as it were, is different, right? And we need our chai time. We need our gupshup time and so on and so forth. What if all of that doesn't work out and our productivity goes down? Right. Much like 
they say some of these benefits are things you can introduce but you can't really take off how are we going to how are we going to structure it how are we going to ensure that there's no downside to all of this there was robust discussion um at which point i think the only solution we could come up with subu was to say it's worthy of experimenting because not doing anything was not going to cut it this was the best idea by which we could solve both problems but yes we recognize that there may be issues so why don't we try and run an experiment in the organization and so uh, the next town hall that happened um wales gave the update about the organization uh he spoke about where we are what we're doing how the platform's doing all of that stuff and very steve jobsically uh, said oh one more thing uh we're going to be off on fridays not just this friday but every friday um and the best part was there was utter silence for that after that for about 10 seconds nobody really understood what he meant uh, people thought that you know he was saying this almost like um, after annual day you get a holiday in schools right so people thought he was talking about tomorrow he said no i'm not talking about tomorrow only i'm talking about every friday from now onwards every weekend will be a long weekend for bero and then absolute pandemonium people just clapped and rejoiced and there was noise and so forth when some sort of sanity recovered we said look this is an experiment there are some conditions and uh, we will get back to you with conditions in a day or two right and so it was incumbent upon me to draw out those conditions and communicate it to the organization no it's fascinating i think uh, i was in my mind i'm imagining the scene when this was announced to the organization and what the mood might have been like because it's at that point in time i think it was fairly unprecedented now of course there is a lot of research and talk about organizations experimenting with the four day work week now we're talking about 5 years ago or e- even more um so therefore uh you know i'm i'm sure it was uh, the thought and the experiment itself was way ahead of its time in the way that um, you had thought about it and and facilitated it i am curious to know what what those conditions were and how you laid it out so please uh, please continue anand thank you so look we we told the organization we're going to try this for 3 months uh, subo and those 3 months happened to coincide with the busiest period in uh, bero's annual calendar right so jan through uh, march are typically the busiest time for us um but we wanted to solve this we wanted to roll it out and we said if it works during the business busiest time it's definitely going to work during the rest of the uh, year so we said might as well try it and so the conditions were very simple uh we will have every friday off right and one two i am not going to measure when you come in when you go out i'm not going to measure how many hours you worked on uh none of that is going to be measured i'm not going to take away any of your holidays leaves vacation none of that is going to change i'm not going to reduce your salary by 1/5 uh or any you keep your salary you keep your benefits you keep your holidays uh, and so forth but for the next 3 months we're going to ensure that we measure the output that you're producing so i want to ensure that the quantity of output is at least the same if not more i cannot have it going down second i want to ensure the quality of the output right if you think you can put stuff together in a hurry no the quality of the output has to be at least the same if not greater very importantly the we're going to reach out to a lot of our clients we're going to ensure that we take their feedback into account and i want to ensure that employee i'm sorry customer feedback uh is going to be extremely important and we want to ensure that our customer feedback 
does not dip below where it is. If anything, it has to go up. So as long as these three conditions are met, we will reconvene in a quarter to see how it's going. And we said we will publish on a fortnightly basis what the output is, uh, what the quality metrics are, and to the extent possible, perhaps on a monthly basis, what customers are saying about this. Um, so this is what we communicated to the organization. One, uh, and uh, at the same time, we created draft mails, we created talking points for our sales team to reach out to our customers, key customers. We checked with a couple of key customers. Vale had reached out to a couple of our really key uh, large customers and checked with them. And uh, he'd received, uh, you know, undivided uh, praise for it. They said, fabulous, go for it. I mean, this is really brave, really magnificent. Uh, if it works for you, fabulous. So the sales team went out in larger numbers, spoke to as many of the clients as possible over the next two to three weeks. There were a couple of questions in terms of what happens on Fridays, in terms of uh, if you have questions, what happens and so forth, right? So therefore, we issued a clarification right up front saying, hey, Fridays are meant to be off, but please understand that unlike Saturday and Sunday, Fridays are not strict off. They are what we'd call floating off. For most of you, that means for 95% of you, 95% of the time, it's going to be off. But there will be times when a client will need something really important, really critical right now. And if that means working on a Friday, you got to do it. Second, there might be some questions that come up on a Friday that need immediate response, which means we need somebody online and available on Fridays. And I'll leave it to each of the teams to be able to figure that out. Again, how we arrived at leaving it to the teams is kind of a story by itself, because uh, what I realized, Subhu, was uh, having not been uh, an HR veteran, I didn't have the relationships in the organization yet. And therefore, I didn't really know whom to reach out to, uh, to spread the message, who are the influencers, who are the gatekeepers, and, and so on and so forth. And those are very important parameters in, in any organization. And so to facilitate that handicap, what, 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 what we did was we said we'll set up a coordination team that will consist of people from the employee base that will come in along with the HR team. We will talk it out. We will discuss. We will communicate with them. And they will then go in and be able to communicate with the organization. In hindsight, it seems like a masterstroke because it allows us to get representatives from the organization. It allows us to uh, almost get like a preview of what their reactions will be, be able to communicate in their language, and then allow them to communicate and spread the message uh, almost like evangelists with the rest of the organization. They take responsibility for it. And the rest of the organization then doesn't see it as a threat. They see it as coming from their peers and therefore they uh, you know, accept it far more readily than, than uh, usually. This, this is, I have now realized, is a fabulous best practice. And we've continued with this for pretty much all of our scorecard creation, for all of, all of the major HR communication and initiatives. We continue to do this. We have a team of, uh, we have a group of team leaders and uh, key employees that are part of discussions that help us come up with uh, all of the metrics and communication. At that time, it was created to enable me to overcome my handicap of not being an HR uh, veteran, as it were, right? So uh, this was communicated. And in this meeting, it was realized that some teams were better off having somebody almost like a doctor on duty, you know? Uh, some teams said, hey, you know what? Um, we have 
real specialists in the team and we can't have this one person on duty. So when something comes in, we'll figure out the team leader said, I'll figure out how to route it and I'll ensure that my team is available and ready to answer these questions and so forth. So I instantly realized there's no way in which I can impose one model on these guys. So that's why we said, look, each team to its own, but Fridays, if work comes, we've got to deal with it. If there is overflow work from Thursday, you got to deal with it. If a client comes in and says, I need this urgently, we've got to deal with it. We will ensure that this is minimized to the extent possible. Bero Live ensures that most of our clients use that as the first port of call uh, and uh, so forth. But in the event that something like this happens, please don't look at me and say, you told me it's a holiday, what's going on, right? So this communication really helped us both to reassure the organization that we're not giving false promises and reassure our clients that in emergency and dire need, we will be there to support you and help. So that's really what we did over the three months. There were a lot of iterations, a lot of meetings, a lot of clarifications. Uh, the funny thing is, uh, and uh, we'll come to the results of that. Um, one of the things that I hadn't expected was the reaction of the family members of uh, you know many many of our uh, of our employees um, i still remember um, i had a worried looking employee come in the next day um, you know shut the door behind and said can i talk i said yes um, my dad is very worried i said what happened like um, in his experience of working nearly 40 years for a public sector bank uh, he is worried that this is nothing this portents uh, the fact that uh, we are going to make it a four-day work week, then a three-day work week, and slowly we're going to end up closing the organization. <laughs> he feels that we're not doing well. Um, he also wants to know if this means next month onward, there'll be a salary cut and benefits cut and so forth. And frankly, I was like, wow, where's this coming from? Right? And um, you feel a mixture of did I not communicate properly? Did I not get this right? Then you realize, no, the cultural milieu in which some of the earlier generation were based out of clearly demanded that they go into work on a regular basis uh, and they spend X amount of time in there and, and so on. So for the employee-employee relationship was never one of collaboration, so much of transparency, so much of trust. Yeah, I think that was unheard of. Uh, and so once I understood that, I realized, okay, I just need to reassure uh, this gentleman. I said, look, I'm happy to talk to your dad if required, but I don't think that's required because the more I try to reach out to them, I'm not going to be able to change his mind. You just need to tell him, wait and watch. To you, I can tell you, absolutely no change. We're not going anywhere. We're growing like a weed, literally. Our business is just taking off. Barrow Live is doing remarkably well. The number of people responding to hashtag free uh, for life is just fabulous right and um, so you don't need to worry about it uh, we'll see how the experiment goes but please reassure your dad that this is something that is here to uh, stay and you know Barrow is not going under anytime soon what we also did was we told the group uh, the core group that we had formed about this and we said anyone else in the organization that has these worries you communicate with them as peers that Barrow is doing decently well. There's really no worry. Our benefits are not being cut. Our salary is not being cut. So coming from peers, it'll be far more dependable, far more trustworthy than coming from me. 
Um, and so that was one of the more funnier, uh, looking back, funnier yeah. uh, aspects of uh, making this change. Yeah. And also um, the fact that you, uh, it also struck me while I was listening to you is that you, since you don't come from a typical HR, HR uh, background, it probably, you didn't have any baggage that you had to get rid of uh, in the way that you thought about some of these things, right? You were looking at it from a curious lens and seeing, let's see what, 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 uh, what this does, um, right? Vis-a-vis uh, -vis folks who have, who are used to doing things in a certain way, it becomes that much more difficult for them to even think about, because this is a fundamental shift at the end of the day. It's a fundamental shift in the way that, um, uh, you know, we work, uh, we live, right? Affects not just us. And like you mentioned, it, it affects our families and they have questions about what's going on. So it's, it's, um, it is a fundamental shift, um, right? So fascinating to hear the backstory as to what you did and how you uh, experimented this. Um, also keen to hear, hear what happened next. What were the results of this experiment? How did you kind of broad base this and, and make it a business as usual? Yeah. So look at the end of three months, we didn't need three months. Uh, so at the end of the first uh, few weeks itself, it was quite clear to us that this was a winner on our hands. Uh, but at the end of three months, when I, I looked at the results, I was gobsmacked. I mean, this was just remarkable because our productivity, which I had hoped would stay at least constant, and I was desperately hoping it wouldn't go down, it had doubled. Our productivity actually had doubled. The output we were putting in four days was double the output we were putting in out in 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 normal work uh, days, work hours, one, two, our uh, employee satis uh, our customer satisfaction had gone nudged above four on five, uh, which means the customers were loving what they were seeing. They were they were loving the energy. They were loving the response. They were loving the response time. Um, it was it was just hit out of the park, right? And uh, around that time, we'd also done the employee satisfaction survey. And the employee satisfaction survey typically had been hovering around 3.2, 3.3 for a long time at, at Barrow, which again, for a company of our size, our uh, uh, type and so on and so forth, was not very bad. I mean, especially if you look at compare with the KPO industry that we were benchmarked against at that point in time, we were one of the better performing from an employee satisfaction uh, perspective. It zoomed past four um, on five, which was quite remarkable because we were streets ahead of anyone else at that point in time and this was genuine reaction and i can say that now with confidence because we have never gone below four since then right and for that quarter attrition absolutely disappeared right uh it did go up a little bit since then but then it settled down at very low single digits for the longest time um of course the great designation last year affected us as well it affected us very differently from how it would have affected many of the other organizations and on a daily basis i'm reading about the indian it industry getting decimated by the great resignation and so on and so forth where organizations are completely changing their entire almost like a ship of thesis uh, level right where every employee is different just uh, in a year's time um for us it was panic stations when it hit double digits for a brief period of time last year. Uh, but essentially from very high attrition, it it had disappeared over that quarter, right? So at the end of that quarter, I realized we've got a winner on our hands. Uh, we huddled again as a management team, presented these results. Clearly in the market as well, we were doing quite well um, in that our clients had not objected to it. They hadn't seen any downtime. They hadn't seen any negative reaction. And that was uh, reflected in the customer satisfaction scores as well. 
the um, entire organization as a whole almost seemed to be charged with a different kind of energy. And there was nothing you could have done that could have given this kind of energy. It was almost like a rebirth. And so we took the decision that was most obvious in front of us. Vail came in and announced to the organization that today we're going to make this permanent. We're going to have all Fridays off. But at any given point in time, any of these parameters fall, we will have to revisit it. We will have to review it because it is our collective responsibility to ensure that we continue focusing on productivity, we continue focusing on quality, and we continue focusing on keeping our customers happy. These are three cornerstones on which we have built. Um, so we made it permanent, um, right? And from then, we've been observing, we've been looking at it. Uh, we've been looking at numbers. We've been having conversations. Again, uh, the maternity leave policy, for example, uh, when the government of India made six months mandatory, we made it 12 months. Uh, since then, we've had barely any woman um, employee leave us and go. In fact, all of them come back and come back happy. Uh, they come back and tell us, look, thank you uh, for allowing me time you know, to see the most precious thing in my life, grow up in front of me and so forth. Uh, thank you for uh, creating a sense of family first with my in-laws and my uh, thing, right? So it, it helps. These these things really helped. The other thing, Subhu, that we realized that we had put in motion at that point in time, but helped us in very good stead was when COVID hit. And we had to react in a matter of about four days and everybody had to go home. We were ready because we were an organization that had in 2017, said anybody can work from home at any given point in time, right? And so we were ready within a matter of three or four days. We said, you want to work from home? No problem. Um, and and uh, the ability for us to be able to trust our employees that work can get, get done from anywhere held us in really good stead. We had almost zero loss in productivity. In fact, um, if anything, working from home has actually saw the next uh, increase in productivity where people didn't have to travel into work, didn't have to spend time in commute and, and so on and so forth. So a long set of learnings from them, observations in terms of the more you trust your organization, the more you give them the responsibility of owning up what the organization stands for, the more they will hold you in good stead. Of course. Of course, that's fantastic, um, Anand. I did have a, a curious question, though, which is that um, what has happened to um, the time spent in meetings as as just, as just one metric? Because what happens is that typically, uh, and especially post-COVID, um, one of the big, big concerns uh, for people who continue to work five, six-day work weeks is that just too much, especially managers, right, just too much time is spent on un more than 50% of time spent in unnecessary meetings and they kind of take up all the time um, right uh, in a busy workday so while you're working uh, you know lesser number of days in a week have you seen more productive uh, more efficient meetings in the way that these are organized i was i was curious to know about that so a couple of ways we can look at that uh, so one is what happened with a four day work week and the other is what happened with covid Right. So, um, look, the organization itself was consisting of a bunch of specialists, right? So in that sense, the amount of inter and intra-team collaboration and therefore the need for large people meetings was not very much right up front. So our ability, therefore, to have these meetings almost like in the uh, 
uh, newsroom, right, where you meet in the morning to have a status check and then you meet in the evening to have a status check. That was really how the managers, many of them were able to run it. Uh, many others, again, we allowed them to have their different styles. I noticed that many team managers, what they were doing was really just having this stand-up um, meeting in the morning and then uh, a catch up in the evening to say if everything's all right and and they were dispersing and those just moved to zoom or teams uh with 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 covid and work from home uh many of the other managers just basically relied on personal touch and one on ones uh, hey my doors are open any point in time or i'll walk the floors i'll see who to put a hand around and who to sit down with how to help uh, and so forth um, and so for those guys, there was a little bit of a shift in that they had to understand how to work when we moved to work from home or how to uh, you know get work done if something came up on a Friday and so forth. That was a learning curve. And uh, again, we got to know of this because of that core group. We got to know that there are different styles. And so for us, from an HR perspective, to walk in, identify those guys and tell them, this is a best practice. Do you want to adopt this? This works. Uh, you know, you can do this so you'll know who needs help and then you can apply the one-on-one -on -one principle with those people really helped. So again, that core group, I look back and I say, wow, masterpiece. But it came on because, like I said, there was a handicap that I needed to solve. But it really helped solve a lot of these problems. It made meetings more efficient. It brought about a process by which uh, the meetings could be convened. It gave us a process that could easily be replicated during and after COVID. The one thing that we did realize, though, Subo, is during the two years that we've been away, two and a half years now that we've been away from office due to COVID, the value of meeting face-to-face -face has come back. The value has, uh, I think you bank a lot of these things. And as the bank kept getting depleted, as the uh, the, the deposit kept getting depleted over six months, nine months, one year, one and a half years, you realize the importance of meeting face-to-face. So again, over the last year, what we've done is we've basically encouraged all of the team managers to say, please bring your team in wherever in the world they are. I will pay for it. Bring them in once a quarter at least. Situate them in our office for about two to three days. Meet face to face. Have some training programs. Have some team uh, meetings. Go out for dinner. Go out for lunch. Uh, just ensure you're getting to know the person, ensure they understand who you are, what you're doing. If two team uh, managers can do it together, it's fabulous. You know, you can have uh, intra-team meetings, inter-team meetings and so forth as well. But ensure you're getting your team in at least once a quarter for these meetings. And so what that has done over the last six to nine months, it has um, put that the whole thing about face-to-face -face meetings back in because uh, when we moved away from office due to COVID, we got rid of our uh, old office. We didn't need it anymore. No one was going in and so forth, right? We're now getting an office again over the next, literally over the next four weeks, we'll have a new office in place. But that office is going to be very different. It's got very little cubicles. And those are mainly for the finance folks and the admin folks and so on and so forth and the IT uh, team. The rest of it is basically consisting of meeting rooms and open offices. You know, you can sit around, you can chat, the large tables, um, training programs in the meeting rooms, there's training room and so forth. But essentially to say, look, work can happen anywhere. Come once a quarter into the office, meet, greet, eat, uh, you know, just ensure you know the person on the other side of the Zoom call and then go back home. Uh, so kind of different answer to how meetings have gone. 
we made it significantly process oriented and uh, you know um, made it efficient uh, but over the last year year and a half we have realized the value of face to face as well and slowly are bringing that back but uh, day to day workman like meetings continue i think most team managers still have that morning uh, i don't know if they necessarily have two meetings every day but for my for me for example my marketing team i meet them uh, twice a week uh, but my hr team is born one on one and i just meet the whole team once a month so again horses for courses what happens with different teams is left to those teams but we're able to manage pretty well so far uh, especially given the numbers are saying that uh, so since then from a productivity perspective we're still managing to clock on an average 30 to 35% increase year on year the first two years we clocked 100% every year since then we're still managing to increase our productivity about 30 35% our attrition which uh, was um, really at the high end of the kpo industry uh, came down to low single digits came down to it came up last year to about um, very low double digits but it's now again disappeared literally disappeared we've had a, a 72% drop in attrition just over the last 6 6 and a half months it's down to very low single digits again uh, my ess um, the highest ever recorded ess was the last one we did about two and a half months ago so it seems like we're still doing okay just following the same core principles we discovered about five and a half years ago very interesting so i think you've you've ticked all the boxes when it comes to measurement from uh, customer satisfaction to productivity to attrition to engagement um, right and and all of them i think are are telling us a story um, in the way that this entire um uh, i wouldn't say experiment anymore it's it's really a way of being now for better in the way that you've designed uh, the way that you work um, for your people and for the organization as a whole i guess one other uh, validation point for you is i was looking at your glassdoor ratings it's at a high of 4.4 i believe where 97% of um, you know people recommend uh, joining the organization and they approve of of the ceo so uh, also a lot of comments there about the four day work week design and how people perceive it uh, any comments on that uh, anand from your end um it's not something that i track assiduously uh, subhu um, perhaps have a look at it uh, once a quarter or so uh i must say that i did look at uh, one it's heartening to see that two it's proof of the pudding as it were uh because i can say what i want but what the employees say and what they say anonymously uh when they are under no pressure duress is really what matters and this is uh, an example of that um i must say though that uh, during covid uh, there was a brief period of time about 3 or 4 months when uh, you know just in these online meetings in just figuring out how to deal with the pandemic and getting work done and uh, dealing with the clients and so on and so forth somehow along the line we kind of lost track of uh, the employee well-being and the work life balance and uh, there was some rumble on glassdoor actually that one of my uh, hr uh, colleagues alerted me to when i looked at it i then went back to uh, uh, you know meeting a lot of the employees and i realized that somewhere along this uh this this whole adjusting to covid we um, we had forgotten about uh the core principles of uh, this thing and many of the uh, employees which is basically working full time on friday as well there was so much work there was so much uh, stuff they had to pull up and get done uh, especially because you must understand that when covid hit supply chains took a beating and when supply chains take a beating 
a lot of our clients depended on us at that point in time for very important urgent and critical information that would help them uh, save stuff so it was very important heavy lifting that we were doing but at the same time uh, i realized hey look this is something that uh, we cannot lose sight of so very importantly i brought this to the notice of vale and the management team and issued a clarification to the organization as well saying hey we've not forgotten we're not a five day uh, company again we are a four day work week please ensure team managers that uh, you know your teams are getting the uh, time off that they need that they, they're able to relax rejuvenate just because they're not traveling into work does not mean that they need to work 14 15 hours if you need more people just raise your hand we'll be able to get you more people more help more support so we issued that clarification about august september and since then it's beginning to settle all over again there are crests and troughs even now we'll suddenly want to launch a product and for that we'll say hey we need you to push over the next two to three weeks next three weeks no fridays but we need to push that you got to do what you got to do but then immediately after that launch you know you'll go back to your uh, you know fridays off so that whole idea of communicating that that friday was dependent on no work being there we've not taken advantage of it we've not exploited it but there have been times when there have been crests when we've needed the employees to step forward and i cannot express my gratitude enough that they've done that without complaining that they've done that without murmurs except when it got to a point where it had been two months of doing that or three months of doing that then i started seeing some murmurs of it so in that sense it's worked it's worked really well for us um, you know and so glassdoor just going back to that question uh, and other external validation uh, is just that it's it's validation it's also a way to ensure that we're not just drinking our own kool-aid and that there is some way of knowing that this actually matters to the employees as well yeah and i also like um, you know an aspect of the design that um, that really resonated me was that uh, having fridays off and giving that direction and then letting the team team leaders decide how they want to um, kind of figure it out in their own respective teams and in the departments that they function uh, uh, in terms of how they want to structure their work week while giving them this flexibility i think um, that was great uh, right so you, you didn't issue a dictat saying this is how teams will work these are we saying hey we are giving you this flexibility now please go ahead and do what's best for your team uh, to be able to address client needs while at the same time taking care of your own team uh, well-being and uh, and so on so i think um, again that was just a comment that i wanted to make um so uh, uh, you know to last couple of maybe last point for you a uh, question for you anand is that um, flexibility uh, you know as as one of the perks of employment these days is not really new anymore uh, mm. and it was it was being talked about even pre pandemic although it got kind of accelerated post pandemic saying people therefore now demand a lot more flexibility um so and you have seen both sides of it because you had implemented the four day week before you know before the pandemic really hit us uh, you saw that side of it and now post pandemic also you've seen so question to you is is this the future of work is this how uh, you feel um, you know organizations will a uh, kind of design the way that uh, employees come to work do you think the four day week is the uh, is the way to go uh, what's your view it depends uh, again so there are some industries some sectors some ways of some some streams that naturally lend itself to this kind of work um i'm i'm speaking for all of vero when i say that we are spoiled in that we can't think of going back 
to um, any other way of working and not just the four day work week but having to travel to office every day traveling having to spend so many hours in there and so on and so forth is something that we realize was just a bygone era it was almost like the shift from library to google happened almost overnight but then once you have google you don't even look back at you know what you used to use the library for uh, anymore right so that said there are areas which for whom um, a four day work week may not necessarily be the best solution in the short term at least you know the manufacturing industry for example or you know uh, journalists like the journalists that i've been speaking to over the last 6 to 8 months who call me about the four day work week uh, wistfully um, look at uh, you know this side of the grass and say hey you know what um, it is not possible for us to be this way uh, because we've got to be always on we've got to be where the story is we've got to be when the story is and so forth right I do think though that this idea of flexibility the idea of enabling people to have a work-life balance is something that will catch on is catching on um, so for the first three years nobody was interested in listening to us right and we've had conversations where i've expressed my frustration as well saying you know we're doing something so unique so different as a marketer i don't see why people are not appreciating it right now so many people are talking about it i'm on calls literally once a month with some organization or the other which wants to know how we did it what are the best practices if they want to roll it out what should they be doing there's in fact even a think tank that's been formed um by i mean bankrolled by a billionaire i believe that actually espouses this for every organization so do i believe this is the way forward for everybody i don't know that just yet do i believe this will eventually become how it will be maybe i don't know if that's the four day work week per se as much as identifying that work life balance is a human right and that you don't really need to be working 14 15 hours in a locked space with 15 others uh, to be productive or to have economic output of course all this is premised with uh, the uh, assumption that things are going to be normal uh, we don't know what's going to happen uh, so chat gpt has just come in and completely changed all of the content world just over the last few months right we've been playing around with it and we're just absolutely amazed at how well it can do how much it can do uh, in how little time right but overarchingly i see the arc move towards work life balance i see the arc move towards flexibility i don't see too much of the gains that were made during covid from the employee perspective going away even though many organizations are saying come back to work every day and so forth um i do think there'll be ways in which this will be reflected in the coming future yeah and i think um, from my perspective what i what i feel is that the way that leadership i think got beh- behind this decision uh, taking this as a priority played a big role in the way that um, you know you went about doing this so i think leadership would be a big factor is is what i think um, in the way that our leaders bought, bought into the idea first of all um secondly i think the the fact that you know you experimented right this wasn't something that you knew before while going in whether it will work or not but the fact that you did try it out and so just that it it uh, the model possibly won't be the same for everybody but then i i guess everybody will figure out their own models um that's that was number 2 and the third point was the the fact that there should be equity in this it shouldn't be that 
uh, if I if it's a larger organization, it can't be that one part of the workforce is, is given this, whereas another part is not. So I think that will also be a huge deciding factor in the way that um, uh, you know I'm I'm just reflecting on this while you were sharing your uh, points of view in terms of how this could play out um, possibly in the future. Because like you said, technology is evolving, and I think technology is making all of our lives easier. Uh, if if we do it the right way, I think it it can make it a lot easier, and therefore give us more time to do things that we would otherwise have not done, uh, be it family, be it friends, be it, uh, you know, things outside of work. Um, so that's that's something that's really interesting and exciting to me. One is, of course, the innovation that's driven due to technology and how that frees up time for me to do other things like recording this podcast, for instance, right? Um, so those those kinds of things are very interesting uh, in the way that we work for the future is, is something that I'm quite fascinated about. Um, any closing thoughts, uh, Anand? Um, just one, um, Subo, I think what enabled us to move this quickly was the uh, facets of culture that we had, where uh, clear communication, um, trust, um, many people talk about trust and transparency being important. Uh, it's very easy to say we're about trust and transparency. It is very difficult to actually uh, come up with real practices that show that. And it is extraordinarily difficult to actually practice it over a period of time. And so for us, um, these were the key cornerstones that Vail has always practiced. And so when you are very transparent, when you're very clear with your communication and you're okay with trusting your employees, it becomes much easier for you to experiment. It becomes that much easier to go out and say, look, I don't know everything. So I'm going to try something out. And you are an equal stakes partner in this. Let's try it out together because there's benefit for you in this, benefit for me in this. And I'm being very transparent by saying, here's the benefit for me. Here's why I'm doing it. But there's also benefit for you. And here's why we should do it together. So I think in terms of other organizations adopting this, I think just thinking about it in terms of clear communication, being transparent, and you know, just trusting your employees, those will be the, if somebody wants to take away key learnings, it should be that rather than saying, can we go four day work week and what the best process will be. So to organizations that want to try this, I'd say try out these pillars. If they work, this can work. Make those work because anyway, those are the cornerstones to a successful organization. So that's really what I would say. Uh, so from an HR perspective, I'm now firmly wearing the HR hat. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Anand. It's been a real pleasure having you for this podcast. Thank you for spending the time. Thank you so much for inviting me and uh, all the very best. I there are many fascinating nuggets that really stood out for me in this conversation. First, it's the collective leadership will to take a stand and acknowledge the fact that employee stress may be a real problem and that we need to do something about it. The second was Barrow's bold decision to go all in and to experiment with a four-day work week way back in 2017. Remember, this went hand in hand with Barrow's pivot to measuring output based on productivity. Third and perhaps the most intriguing of all was the impact the shift to a four-day week had on their organizational culture. Remarkable gains in productivity, engagement and not to mention sustainable gains in customer satisfaction. Until next time, I hope this episode helps you play an active role in shaping a flexible, balanced culture for your colleagues at your workplace.